Welcome to the Believe and Follow podcast. I'm your host, James Rattazzi. This week's podcast is the last episode for 2017. A question was asked about the concept of once saved, always saved. Many believe in some form of this idea, and the teachings of John Calvin are responsible for this particular false teaching. John Calvin was a 16th century French theologian whose teachings on predestination have greatly influenced many Protestant denominations even to this day. A careful examination of God's word will help us to understand the flaws in his teaching. The following conversation arose from a question concerning once saved, always saved. Okay, so... What do you guys got? Anything you want to talk about or questions, comments, concerns? You know, Go ahead. I was going to say maybe we talk about um, the whole idea around once saved, always saved. Like, what are y'all, you know, do you believe that? Uh, do you think there are any things that can actually, to, to me, like, I can agree with the basic idea of that, but I don't oh, think, I don't think that... That only applies, I guess, if you, I don't know, continue to move your life in the direction of Jesus, I guess. I don't know how to exactly say that. But, like, if you, if after you're saved and you turn away completely, like, you know, you basically ignore God afterwards, then I I don't think that you're still saved. Okay. I know what my general overall reaction to the once saved, always saved concept is, but let me get your overall first, since why should I do all the talking? Well, uh, I think that the Bible is pretty clear in that it uses the word if a lot. Yes. The um, once saved, I feel like if you, you can... You can say for sure, like, once you've been saved, you will continue to be saved. But if you continue to do what's right. And I think that's the condition that the Bible places on it. In, in like, all of the, you know, long time ago when we were having the, if you're, like, the walking in the light discussions. and Things like that. Exactly. And salvation appears to be tied and is contingent upon, like... If we are faithful to the end, then we'll get a crown of life. Then, and there's always that big if. Um, so, do I? I don't believe that it's a that there is a. Um, I don't think that we can take the if out and be biblical. And I think that the 
doctrine, that idea of once saved, always saved, tries to remove that if, and that makes me very uncomfortable because I just don't think it's biblical. That's good. I'll try and say something brief, and then I'll get Jeremy's response to see if we're on the same track. The once saved, always saved is part of Calvinism. It's Mm -hmm. part of the Baptist tulip thing. And the part that that is responding to in the Bible is what God wants to do, there's nothing that can prevent him from carrying out his will. So in other words, it's never going to happen that you're doing the right thing, but God just was not able to save you. Well, so I thought there was going to be 500 billion people, and it turned out to be 600 billion, so we're going to have to shave off 100 billion. (laughs) Just not enough room in heaven. Sorry, people. It's never going to be anything like that. But on the face of it, once saved, always saved, like Tonya was saying, if it gives you the impression that once you get baptized and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, then that's it. You're saved no matter what you do is not correct. And I think we're all in agreement on that. I see Jeremy nodding and said, in Hebrews chapter 10, let's read from, uh, this is such a good section. Somebody read Hebrews chapter 10, 23, all the way up to... Just read up to verse 27, see how well that works. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now this is written to believers. This is written to people who are already faithful. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So this is the aspect of, once you put your hope in God through Jesus Christ then God will be faithful and will carry out his part. So that's the part where you can have full confidence that God will do his part. Then, starting in verse 24, he does show how this is not just the individual. This is a group thing. We should be looking at ourselves, backing each other up, keeping ourselves from sinning as a group thing. That's where they're not neglecting to meet together, as someone in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We often talk about that first half because we're always wanting to quote that verse to somebody who doesn't go to church. But the second one is interesting, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we gather together, what are we supposed to be doing? Encouraging one another. And I think that's more what this is about. Work together as a group. Four, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth. Now remember the passage in 1 John 3, Anyone who continues to sin, it's the same concept here. So you're not going to continue to sin. And what's this idea? The word deliberately means what? What's another word that's traditionally used in Bible terms, especially by old-timey preachers? Well, this version says willfully. Willfully, that's the word, though. Yeah, because you're in the King James, right? I should have just told you to say read it from here. So it's like willful disobedience is different than making a mistake or not being sufficiently educated. But we see from this passage how this is a process. Our walk with God and our salvation is a process. But if once we're acquainted with what the deal is and we deliberately go on sinning, 
then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, so this Christ thing didn't work for you, but now we've got another thing. God's never going to say that. So basically, this is where you make your stand. Hold fast to the confession that you made. Hold fast to your walk with Jesus Christ, because that's it. And I remember, and this is also to the Jews, because I could see a Jewish person at that time thinking, okay, well, we failed in this whole nation of Israel Jewish thing, but God had something better in mind for us. Hey, maybe if we fail in this Jesus Christ thing, maybe God has something better in mind for us. So that's why the writer to the Hebrews and the other writers in the New Testament make sure that, that all the believers understood that these are the end times. Now that we're in the church period, from the day of Pentecost on, this is the end times. When Christ returns, that's it. There's not going to be a fourth period or a fifth period. These are the end times. This is it. And so that's why the writer of the Hebrews makes sure that people understand, no, in these end times, he told us to listen to his son. In these in the last days is the way it's in my translation. So just like for any sinner, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So he's warning people who are believers. So this passage here pretty much blows once saved, always saved out of the water. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I mean, I think that's, I think that's the same. I feel like uh, God's always operated that way. You know, like even in the Old Testament, they would have to, it wasn't like, oh, they were just born Jews and that was it. Right. They had to make their sacrifices. And it wasn't like, oh, they could just make their sacrifices once and that was just it. Like, even though Christ is the, is the sacrifice to end all other sacrifices, we still have to continue to live in the way that he expects us to live. Um, and to behave in the way that he expects us to behave or else, you know. Now, I, I can't say... I, I think, again, that like, we have to be careful in saying, like, well, um, at what point, like, we can't really judge and be like, well, at what point is somebody lost versus at what point is somebody saved? Right, I, we that, can't. That's not up right. to us. Like, yep. we can't. But for us to say, well, it's not possible to be lost, it's then, that's, then that's definitely not accurate because it's just not the way that the Bible describes it. And it can work on the positive thing, too. We may look at somebody and say, well, look at that guy. He's so good. He's obviously saved. Well, maybe not. We may judge somebody that they're not saved inaccurately and incorrectly. We may judge that someone is going to be accepted. So what's the correct answer for everybody? We don't know. We don't know, right? Exactly. Actually, I should have phrased it differently. That is the correct answer to the question that I asked. But what should our attitude then be about everybody? Because we don't know. Well, I think that we should adopt the attitude that's most helpful to them. Yeah. So, like, it, in a way, it kind of maybe depends a little bit on their personality. But, like, if they're in a situation where they're in danger and they're sinning, we shouldn't be telling them that they're okay. Right. And if they're in a situation where they're trying their hardest to do what's good and they're getting discouraged because they don't feel like they're good enough, then we should be telling them, you're doing good, keep going. It depends on the situation and it depends yeah. on the mindset of the person. 
But I do have a better answer than that. What? Oh. Which is, no, I don't have a better answer. God has a better answer than that. So I'm thinking in verse 25 is the second part of the verse. But encourage one another. What should we do to everybody? We well, should encourage them. I know, kind of. I know. All right. So your answer was good. I'm just saying it differently. <laughs> we should encourage one another no matter what. Because... Chances are, even the person that we think is just fine, they could be doing better. And so we should encourage them to be doing better. We shouldn't be discouraging people. We shouldn't let our interactions with the person who obviously seems holy and upright, but they're worse off because they, they were dealing with us. We discouraged them. So we should be encouraging each other. No matter how well you're doing or how well you think you're doing, the helpful attitude to have is, but you can do better. I can do better, you can do better, we can all be doing better. So that's why we should all be encouraging each other to do better in our walk with God. And we have like all kinds of examples of, you know, people who were doing good and then stopped doing so well. And, you know, I feel like the Israelites were good. And we're told that we can, you know, look at them as an example. Yeah, everything for that was, written, was written as an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you had somebody who was doing good, but then turned. You know, Saul in the beginning seemed to be okay. King Saul, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, King Saul in the beginning seemed to be okay, but he, he had certain character flaws. He got to be more about impressing the people. Same thing with Solomon. And Solomon, too. Solomon was very good in the beginning. God spoke well of his answer to his question when he was young. Mm -hmm. But then we know in his later days, his heart was turned away even though he's the wisest man in the world, there's a cautionary tale. So we can see these examples that what someone does does not say, okay, now I got my ticket, I'm in. There's no way I can get locked out. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that's verse 31, which I did not include in this reading. And, uh, yeah, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Fearful thing to fall into the hands of. And then you have the parables of you know the parables of the people who heard you know even <clears throat> even just like the parable of the sower like all of those people received the seed and they started growing. Yeah. That indicates you know if they received the seed which is the word of God and they started growing like and then something and then they were choked by thorns or and then they were scorched by the sun or and uh -huh. then they were you know that's all people who who were saved right. and then are lost if you apply that parable correctly. Um, I feel like constantly throughout the throughout the entire Bible, there's example after example in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of language that indicate that it's very conditional. Right. And I don't so I understand like the want, the the you know, the desire that people would have to create some kind of fail-safe like that, mm -hmm. like that doctrine. Like, I get the want, the mm -hmm. desire yeah. for it, but it's just not, it doesn't, it's not in line with with What's the entire the theme of, of the Bible. Right. Like, the Bible is constantly story after story of people moving away from God. That's from the very beginning. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were with God. They were with God in the garden, and they moved away. Then you start over again with somebody like Noah and his family, and they were with God in the beginning, and then people, again, they move away. And that's just over and over the recurring theme for us to say, oh, no, once you're in good with God, you're going to stay, like, you can't, you can't move away. It right. just, it seems... 
It's not consistent. It's very inconsistent. But the absolute that you can rely on is God. Yes. You draw near to him, he'll draw near Mm -hmm. to you. You're faithful to him, he'll be faithful to you. Mm -hmm. If you're unfaithful, well, he's still still faithful faithful. because he can't deny who he is. Mm -hmm. So that's the absolute confidence you can have. And Jesus said, my instructions are not burdensome. So you can have absolute confidence that God's going to do his part. And it's not really super hard to do. But you do have to follow through. And you have to humbly walk with your God. So when someone comes to you and says, I don't know if that is exactly right, that thing that you're doing, you have to at least be able to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And perhaps be corrected and not be like, oh no, who are you to tell me anything? Thoughts, questions, you got anything, Jeremy? Is that what you were thinking about the once saved, always saved thing? I mean, I think so. Um... Do you know anybody who does the one saved always saved thing, or is this just... I feel like it's really common. It is. It is very common. It's, it's a very one of common, those vestiges of Calvinism. But you know, it's interesting because it's like, it's so common that people, it's it's almost like one of those things that like in Christian faiths, maybe outside of Catholicism, because I don't know how Catholics feel about one saved always saved, because I feel like they think you should go to confession, but then I also feel like they think at some point, at least like... My friend Leslie is like, once you're Catholic, you're always Catholic. So, yeah, yeah, it's, so it's I think weird. it goes kind of back and forth with them, but um, and maybe it depends on the kind of like cultural Catholic they are. But I feel like for the majority of quote unquote Christian faiths, it's so commonly held that people don't even question it. And then people who do question it, rather than thinking, oh, this doctrine might not be correct. It's actually, like with my friend Kirk, like he, his, one of his exes, Christy, like she was Baptist or something. Right. And she like, and he was like, he was like, anyone who tells me that that's just the way it is and then, and then just, you know, people can do whatever they want and go to heaven just because when they were younger, they, they said this one prayer. He's like, that's ridiculous. And I don't want to pardon it. Right. So instead of like thinking... It's like, and I've tried to have a conversation with him, like, no, that's not even what the Bible teaches. He's like, but that's what everybody teaches, so, like, I don't want any part of it. Like, he w- would prefer to renounce Christianity altogether. Right. And, which is very... Very you sad. Know, it's very sad, and it's yeah. very unfortunate, because, yeah, you're right, this doesn't make sense, and that's not the way that God operates, but it's so commonly held that people, instead of questioning whether it's actually true, they dismiss the... You know, the whole thing. The whole they thing. throw the whole thing. They throw, throw out the, the, whole thing the baby out. with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and you know, I don't think people realize the date. Like when people they want to, you know, comfort others, yeah. and they don't think about the ramifications. Now, whose fault is that? Well, it is the fault of the person who's rejecting the Bible, but it's also the fault of all those dim bulbs who made believing in the Bible seem so unattractive. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who are Calvinists or different blends of different things. Having a conversation with your average Baptist these days is like, oh no, I'm not a Calvinist. My father and my grandfather, they're Calvinists. I'm not like them. But then when you actually nail them down on the principles there, they still can't let go of what they were taught, even though their attitude is like, I'm going to let go of the bad things that my parents, my grandparents did with the gospel. But it's really hard to do. It's really hard to separate yourself from the way you've been taught. If you've learned it wrong, it's hard to learn it right. Anyway, I thought you were going to say something. Go ahead, Jeremy. Um, most, most of the 
the times I hear about this is like on Tumblr, just reading like a, I follow a bunch of like Christian blogs and stuff right. for ideas because I like hearing or reading about other people's you know, thoughts on subjects. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of people have these Calvinist ideas of like something that ties in similarly to to this topic is you know election and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'm just like, so I, like I asked one of them, you know, how do you know that you're elected? And the response was something like, it's not our job to, you know, know that we're elected, but it's our job to seek or to, if, if we continue to move towards God, I guess, that proves that they're the elected. Whereas if you're not part, you know, one of the chosen, then your life won't move in that direction. Right. You but you understand how that's kind of putting the cart before yeah, the horse. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was it's kind like, of a ridiculous answer. Yeah, like, but that's part of the Calvinist tautology. Yeah. Like saying, the only people who are going to do it are the people who God has already chosen. Yeah. That's completely wrong. I but it's I like, didn't see that anywhere. Because no. what does the word elected mean? What does the word elect mean? Chosen. Chosen. Choice. It's choice. That's a principle we see going all the way back to the very beginning. God chooses. So God has chosen at various times to elect certain people. (laughs) In other words, God has chosen certain people. God chose Noah. Because Noah chose God. Because Noah chose God. Right, exactly. But the point is, God chose Noah and Noah responded. But was God's choosing with Noah unconditional? No. God gave his instructions to Noah to do certain things, and Noah did exactly as God told him. That's what Genesis 6 tells us. So there's always this back and forth in God's choice. God chose Abraham. Who knows why? But there was something Abraham had to do. There were a number of things Abraham had to do to do his part. Today, what do we have? Today we have God chose. Who's the chosen one of God? Jesus. Jesus, right. So Jesus is the chosen one, because what does Messiah mean? Anointed one. Anointed one, chosen one, right. He's the chosen one. So those who are disciples of Jesus are now the chosen people of God. Mm -hmm. So these days, even though in the past God has spoken at various times and operated in various ways, in these last days he's spoken to us through his Son. So our election is our connection to Christ. It's just like if there's going to be a concert. And you have a ticket to the concert. If you have a ticket to the concert, then you're one of those people who's going to be chosen to get in. If Tonya and Jeremy present themselves at the door, Jeremy has a ticket and Tonya does not have a ticket, and they're talking, and Tonya says to Jeremy, well, so how do you know that you're going to get in? How do you know that you're one, one of the, the elect? And Jeremy's going to say, because I got my ticket. That's all what it is. So you know that you're one of the elect if you know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I feel like in that scenario, like, God bought tickets for everybody. Right. And but not, not everybody, everybody But not everybody picked their ticket up before trying to go to the concert. Right. So it's like there's going to be people trying to get into the concert when everything is over, and God's going to be like, well, did you go get your ticket from... You know, by doing the things that you were, you know, that I, the conditions, did you meet the conditions to, to get your ticket in? 
and then that's where the, that's where everything's going to fall apart because right. everybody has a ticket exactly. that they could get if they wanted into the mm. concert. Right. You know, it's just a matter of meeting the conditions to get your ticket right. and then holding on, and then you have to hold. Like, and say you might get your ticket. But if you lose it over the course of your life, and you don't because you've been careless, right? You've been careless. You don't take care of your ticket. You know, if if you buy your concert ticket six months in advance and you don't keep up with it, you're also not going to get in, even though you paid for it, because you were careless with your concert ticket. Right. So then you're still not going to. You're not still gonna not going to get in. So the question is, how do you know that you're one of the elect? It's kind of a bit of a loaded question. It smacks of this idea, so if you accept once saved, always saved, how do you know you're one of those once saved, always saved people? So the question has an incorrect premise to it a little bit. Because even those of us who are following, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to stand firm to the end. So we can say, okay, well, I'm a dutiful disciple of Christ, so I'm absolutely confident that God's going to follow through on his part. Let's just make sure that I hold to my confession, that I hold to the election. Well, what's the way that it was written? Hold fast the profession of our faith is what the King James says. Right, that's good, that's, which is fine. confession, I think. In but it's that same idea, standing firm to the end. Yeah. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See, that's one verse saying what we're saying. God's going to fulfill his part. Like Jesus said, he who stands firm to the end. So if you say to somebody, how do you know that you're one of the elect? You say, well, because I'm following Jesus Christ. And if someone used that word, because that's like a dog whistle for Calvinism, I would respond with, if someone said to me, how do you know you're one of the elect? I would say, because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if, I would add the if, if I stand firm to the end, then it will be stored up for me, the crown. It's important because someone who says that is on the premise of that. If you know you're elect, then you know you're you got your ticket into heaven. But I think that's one of the one of the problems with you know like like you go back and you look at like all the witch hunts and stuff and like the fragility of. I feel like you know Calvinism is interesting that it's like maintained like such sway all this time, but it's such a fragile actual like when you really try. Like, for all the principles of Calvinism, it's got to be such, like, a fragile, like, unstable mindset. Because, like, on the one hand, I'm sure that the, the, the idea is, well, if I weren't um, elect, then I wouldn't be able to, you know, do these, good, do these good things. And so by doing these good things, then therefore I'm elect. But there's also that constant knowledge that you also do bad things. And if you're able to do those bad things, then maybe you're not. Maybe you're it's not. just, it seems so... The honest person, it's the same thing with the Pentecostal religions too. The only thing that Calvinism does to the honest person, the only thing that Pentecostalism does to the honest person, is it fills them with self-doubt. Because the person, if he's really honest with himself, he knows he's sinned a lot more than anybody else knows. How can I be one of God's elect if I did all these horrible things? And that completely negates the entire point of Scripture because look at these other people who did these horrible things and look at who got accepted. Look at David. He did all sorts of horrible stuff, but he was accepted by God. And it's the same thing with the Pentecostal. Wait a second now. If I have to be speaking in tongues or fall on the floor uh, and have some kind of spastic fit in order to be saved, well, that has never happened to me even remotely 
what's wrong with me? So that's where all these distortions don't really help people, do not really encourage people. So now you got more, uh, you got more ammo for your Tumblr uh, commentaries. Mm, I don't want to like attack them or anything. No, no, you have to reason with them. You have to try and do it gently. But I know from experience, it's really hard. Doing that kind of thing where you're in a chat room or something like that and you're doing these things back and forth, it's probably even harder. Because you might put a comment in and then ten people will gang up on you. <laughs> because that happens sometimes in those things. But at least if you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, it's easier to walk them through it. But it's still hard. Just like I said, I've, I've had... Well, it's hard because it's, you know, it's also can be also really painful for people. Because, sure. you know, maybe they know someone who... And it's like... Lived and died. What if your parent has lived and died as a Calvinist or, you know, lived yeah. and died as a Catholic? So that's why you have to be careful to say to them, first of all, we're not making any judgments on everybody because that's God's thing in the end. Mm -hmm. Second of all, let's say you're concerned that maybe your father or mother might not be saved like you thought. You can affect God's judgment about these things. Judgment hasn't been made yet. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to do the right thing. So don't let that keep you from doing the right thing. Do the right thing. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to have a uh, positive effect on this situation. Because then at least, you know, there are attempts to raise you. Right. And God looks at the... everybody interactively. So the judgment hasn't been made yet. The person can't do anything to affect God's judgment. And God's judgment is pretty much done because, as we know, time is irrelevant to God. But we still have time playing itself out for us. So no matter what we think might be the status of our parents or whatever because of what they believed and now we realize it isn't correct, our job is to do the right thing, correct our behavior, and pray to God that things will go better for us and for everybody else that we know. Make sense? When God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, his relationship with Abraham affected how he dealt with Lot. So you have that principle. It was a lot was not just on his own for his own righteousness. God looked at Abraham and said, "Oh, should I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do?" Because he just had this very nice close time with Abraham and he appreciated it. And so you see that thought. And so then Abraham has this negotiation. If it had turned out, if the satisfaction was met, then God would have had to do things differently because he was making a deal with Abraham. But he was making a deal with Abraham on Lot's disposition that had nothing to do with anything that Lot did. It had just to do with the closeness of God and Abraham. Keep that in mind. You want to try and influence God over how to deal with your dead ancestors, your parents or whatever? Then you walk with God. You do the right thing. You be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then you make your prayers to God, and then God will do the right thing. Either way. Questions, comments, concerns? No? Thoughts? I, mean, I was sort of thinking of that in a different way. Oh, well, you were. I was thinking of. Well, there are multiple ways to I was thinking it. of it more of like an able being dead yet speaketh kind of way. Like the example that they left that's, that's encouraged you to do the right thing would also fall backward onto them as like having done something good. Like they could mitigate in some way, form, or fashion um, at least the. True also. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It would be factored true. into the reward or punishment that they receive. 
I feel like we're accountable not just for our actions, but for the action for the consequences of those actions that affect other people in the ways that they affect them. Right. The example yeah. that we're being either good or bad, uh -huh. and that's why even though I might be like, hey, I got. We're talking about what is being suggested in Hebrews ten. Hey, I got this Bible thing down. I don't need any more encouragement. I don't have to attend worship. Well, what am I doing though? I'm setting a bad example for other people who should be more regular with their attending. And maybe there are other people in this group who are not as, you know, as great as I am. They're going to need more help. Slight sarcasm. But really look at the way God words that with the way God said, should I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? what I'm about to do. And there's this interactive moment where Abraham is negotiating with God and God was negotiating with him in good faith. This is not one of those situations where because Abraham did not love the truth, he's going to be deceived. No. He's clearly their close moment there. And then Abraham's bargaining with God about, well, but maybe he'll destroy it if 50 people. Maybe, you know, and he gets all the way down to 10. And of course, God is kind of like poker, where God knows what's in his hand, so he's kind of like... But still, in all good faith, God was walking down that road with Abraham. Mm -hmm. So it affected how God was going to carry out what he did to Lot because of his affection for Abraham. Mm -hmm. And there are other examples that are more vague about that, too. But the point is, you want to be part of the group that God is kindly disposed towards. Because, once again, it's as a group. So even though we each must stand alone before the judgment seat of God, that's absolutely true. But we're also part of a group. We're also told that we're part of a group. We need to encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day coming. Mm -hmm. There are some people who might be inclined to fall away. Well, what should we do about that? Well, we should try and have a good, tight-knit group to try and prevent that falling away from happening. Because these things happen in stages. Someone doesn't all of a sudden go from, I'm attending every single gathering in the church, all of a sudden I'm at none at all. It happens in degrees. Or some sin someone might be committing, whatever it is, whether it's stealing something from work or uh, committing some sort of habitual sin, it starts as a small thing. Oh, you know, you do that once, and then, oh, when you need to do it twice, and it becomes a bigger, bigger thing. So if you can nip those Until things you're in a the point. Say what? Until you're a serial killer. Until you're a serial killer, right, exactly. So those are my thoughts. Questions, comments, concerns? I've never really thought of the idea of somebody else's actions or their belief in God or disbelief in God affecting a previous person. Do you have any scripture for that? Well, I have that one. Okay. But they were still alive. But you have to remember, though, that's helpful to you and me. Time is irrelevant to God, mm -hmm. right? Let's say my parents were Catholic and they both died believing that they had been baptized, even though they had not been baptized. And as a consequence, also none of their children got baptized. If any of their children realize, hey, wait a second now, I need to get baptized, you know, then that's only going to have a positive, a positive effect on God's judgment in the end. In our frame, the judgment hasn't happened yet for the entire human race. And God sees us as a community and a collection. 
And you're right about one thing. Most of the examples I would give would be people who are still alive. So you see this thing happening in real time. What happened when, what's the guy's name again, who took the devoted things from AI? Aiken. Yes. He did a bad thing, and the whole community suffered. God judged the whole community because of the, what this one guy did. So there has to be an application of that. Now, the reason why that concept you got to be real careful with ever even mentioning is you can't give cover for people not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You can't say to somebody, well, I'm not going to do the right thing, but perhaps one of my descendants will do the right thing and that will give me a pass. No, if, if you have that attitude, you're never going to get in. But what if you lived a certain way and what if your heart was in the right place and there was something that wasn't right about what you were doing. In the end, God will judge. He'll judge us all by the same criteria, but we don't know it all. So all we can do is take the instructions that we have before us, which is to be disciples of Jesus Christ and follow them. And we can't give anyone a pass and say, yeah, you're okay. And just like we can't condemn anybody, it goes both ways. So I could come up with other examples too, and I will. But we do have this idea where God judges the whole community. And it happened all the time to the nation of Israel. One person sinned, the whole community was judged. Mm -hmm. David did a bad thing, and tons of people were slaughtered. David did a bad thing, the baby died. David did a bad thing, and his other son, Absalom, got killed. Now, Absalom got killed because of the bad things that he did. But all those bad things were spiritually as a result of David's sin. So there's a connection. We are connected. So we can either be associated with the connection, the unbroken chain of disobedience from the beginning, or we can be connected with the unbroken chain of obedience. There are consequences to everything that we do that are larger than what we realize. That's another part of this theorem. Adam and Eve had no idea what the consequences were of what they did. It's very clear by the text. There's lots of that going on. When Abraham lied about his wife, twice. And then his son did the same thing. Yeah, and his son did the same thing, which is interesting. But they had no idea what the consequences were. But other people who suffered and killed because of their... And what about the carelessness of the nation of Israel when they allowed the ark to fall into the hands of the... Philistines. Was the Philistines. You're right, the Philistines, right. And what happened to the Philistines? What happened to those people? Well, they were plagued, right? Yeah, yeah, they had, they had tumors. They even made these Rats memorial eyes. tumors that they gave to the nation of Israel. That was something where somebody else suffers because of the sin of somebody else. Everybody benefited by, if there was a good judge, then everybody partook of the peace. So there's plus and minus. So we are all connected. We do have to be really careful with that in good ways and bad ways. And it crosses generations because what God does crosses generations. Today, when a Palestinian shoots a rocket into Israel and kills somebody, well, that's a direct result of the nation of Israel under Joshua not having killed all those people in the first place. They were disobedient to God, and now we have ridiculous things happening in the Middle East because of that. In the one point, you say, well, how is that fair? How can a just God say, just go kill all those people? Well, he's a just God, and he knows what's going on with those people, and it's right to say, kill all those people. You don't do it, 
And look, here we are 3,000 years later. People are still suffering the consequences of mm-hmm. that disobedience. Mm-hmm. Does that help the idea a little bit? I mean, my, the, the, the specific one that I was having a problem was, you know, something happening now that affects somebody who previously been alive. That idea was... Like I can I can see it in you know in the the future way like God liked David so much that he kept his lineage on the throne for a long time you know that so he you know because of his love for David he spread it out to his further generations but the the opposite way kind of well but threw didn't, me for even a before the time of David did not God predict that it would be the tribe of Judah that this would come through, that the scepter will not depart from Judah. God said that way before David was even alive. Mm -hmm. You're right, at one point we can see that the scepter did not depart from Judah because David was a man after God's own heart. But wait a second now, God said that way before David was even born. See, this is where John Calvin says, aha, that's because God knew that David was going to be elect. No, 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 that's not why. Time is irrelevant to God. Mm-hmm. So even though it's easier, you're right, it's easier for us to see it going in the forward direction. It's harder for us to see it going in the backward well, I direction. Think that they're the same. Exactly, like, they're the same. I agree they're the same. Yes. But, it's hard. Well, but who's going to make the judgment? Wait a second, who's going to make the judgment? God's going to make the judgment. So even though God goes, yeah, time is irrelevant for me, and I'm going to make the judgment, and all of you are going to be okay with it. And I'll tell you something else. I was like, one more thing, and I'll let you talk to Some of you are going to be saying, yeah, I was sure that guy was going to be saved, and he wasn't. I was sure that guy wasn't going to be saved, and he is. So you may see your mom and your dad, who were good, faithful Catholics, and you go, well, obviously they're doomed. They're dead. They're doomed. There's nothing left for them but the final judgment. We can't say that. And we might be surprised at the end, in the end, what God's judgment is. Jeremy's like, eh, go ahead, Tony. I was just going to say, I think... His head's about to explode. No. I can see little whiffs of smoke. No, because it's like... It's this... In a, in a way, it's the same because if, if those actions, like, affect us forward, like, affect things forward... Like, if, if I set a good example, and that affects, if I were to have kids, and that affects my kids, or, or like, it's like being, like, if you are a branch on a tree, you know, like, we're described as branches, and we have fruit, and that fruit bears fruit. <clears throat> like, and so, if we're the source of that initial fruit, then just because that fruit, like, three generations from now, that's growing, like... In God, like we can see that going forward, but in a way, it also goes backward too because that fruit is still attributable, attributable the to the original like seed. And so that good that you've done or that bad that you've done, in a way, the results of that, the that fruit that continues, is still attributable to the deeds that you've sown. And we, so we will be accountable for the things that we do and the effect. Because God says he's going to hold us accountable for our deeds. But when we think of the word deed, we might only think, like, for that thing itself. But the deed is larger than just that thing itself. It's the consequence, like, the consequences of that deed continue and are part of that deed itself. And we'll be accountable for those deeds 
that continue on and continue to affect people. And it's the same for our ancestors too. So if the things that I'm doing are the result of the seeds that were planted before, then those things are still attributable to them. Now, if it's completely unrelated and inconsequential, then sure, then maybe that's not like a product of their deeds. But if the way, but if the things that, that I'm doing and the choices that I'm making are in part attributable to those decisions that they made, like if my parents raised me right and I'm a good person and then I raise my children right and they're good people and they raise their children right, then that goes back. And so they should be able to, because of the deeds that they did and the effects that those deeds have, receive something for it. Or, or not. Because if they were wicked and, and generations and generations of wickedness occur because of those deeds, like, there's not a, it doesn't, the link is there whether it's backward or forward. Because that's the result of the things that were done because they continue to compile. Does that? Yeah, right. But if it boggles your mind, don't talk about it. No, I think I agree with you both in general terms, but... The, the idea that, that I had it playing in my mind so was the understanding that, or in this hypothetical, I guess, that you had parents who thought they were saved but weren't, but then because of their influence on the future, you know, after they've already passed the, the opportunity of, you know, being saved or not because they're dead, then, you know, even if they're their offspring save literally the entire world I don't think I could, I could say that but you, you can't say that you can't say I think it or don't think it because we're well, told not well, to I, enter I, I into God's think, judgment realm I don't think that'll, thing. that'll affect their salvation at all um, I, I could agree with maybe like storing up of treasure in heaven that kind of an idea it may, it may not affect their like crossing over from that line of saved to not saved but that's the only but, thing that matters. Well, in is effect. it? Is it? Because what if there are degrees of punishment? But, I don't but know. forgetting all that, maybe it does. We can't say. We can't say for sure. We can't no. say for sure. So here's the thing: basically, dead people are dead. We can't do anything about them at all. Nothing we can do for the dead people, except the answer is the same always for us. We always should do the right thing. But we see that God sees us more as a group. Now, who we're connected with is important, and we may have some choices who we're connected with. We, we can be connected with those people in Christ. You have to be careful. You can't be, so, um, you can't be so linear in your thinking, because God is not linear. Hey, it's just like Einstein, what got him figuring out the theory of relativity. Remember, like you were saying, you know, we're realizing that maybe dark matter doesn't exist. Einstein's original musing was, maybe gravity doesn't exist. That if something is in an inertial field, it doesn't move. So this object is sitting still, it's in an inertial field. If I drop it, it's going to fall to the ground. But maybe it's not falling to the ground, but it's in an inertial field. The ground is coming up to meet it. That means that gravity doesn't exist. There's something else going on. That's what got Einstein into the whole theory of relativity that gave us modern quantum physics. So whether it is that this is falling to the ground, or the ground is a thing that's in motion and it's moving to meet the things that are... It really, in the end, doesn't matter which is which, because it's where we sit in relation to that that has the effect for us. But in reality, the whole thing, what's irrelevant is relevant. Go ahead. Well, and I think it's easier, too, if you think of it in terms of 
like, there isn't, like, it's not like these, the people who are dead have been judged already. Right. Because And happened, we're waiting, yeah. and we're, like, everybody's going to be judged at the same time. Because it's out of time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think part of the problem is, it's like, if you're thinking, like, oh, well, this judgment's already being given. So, but then, but these people are really good, so then that judgment... I can't see how that judgment could be reversed. And you're right. That doesn't make sense. Because once the judgment's been given, then it's it's been given and done. But God, in his wisdom, and in taking into account all of the effects of all of the deeds that we do, is reserving judgment (coughs) until there are no more deeds being done. Right. And until all of the deeds have been done, all of the seeds have been sown, and all of the fruit has been reaped, that is when God issues his judgment. And whatever that fruit is, whatever, because you can't know the entirety of the deed itself until all the repercussions have been accomplished. And that's, and that's just that. Because in reality, how does God speak as if David had done what he did and act as if Christ had done what he did if it's in this linear form of thinking that you're in. The reason why God can speak of things that are not as if they are is because for him, they are. They're not for us, but they are for God. And so think of the ramifications of God existing outside of time. And that's one of them. But we do exist within time, which means that our... the, The only, in my mind, the only decision that matters or not is if you're saved now. If you sometime during your lifetime you have asked Jesus to be your savior, right? And I don't see how that at all can be affected once you're dead. You're stating that I've asked Jesus to be my savior. What does the Bible really say? Well, he who stands firm to the end. What must we do to save? We need to repent. We need to be baptized. This is all true. So the instruction to anybody who asks the question is they need to do that. All I'm saying is that, first of all, there are lots of people who are saved who haven't been baptized. People haven't sinned yet. People who are incapable. That's true. We understand the instructions, but we can't put conditions on God because of the instructions that are to us. God can do whatever He wants. If I want to save this person, I'm going to save this person. And if God says, even though you didn't see the reason that I did it, it's right that I did it. Well, but you know, I think on the Day of Judgment, all of that reason will be... A, will, it will be clear be, to us at that clear. point. Yeah. And I, I, maybe, maybe I'm incorrect in assuming that we're going to understand it at that point, but I think that we, but I think that we there will. There won't be and anything they, preventing and, us and from thing, understanding. And the thing is, is like, when we're being judged, we will also be outside of time. Yeah. Like, at that point, we're not going to be in time either. So, yeah, we're in time now, and yes, these decisions that we're making have are even more important, I think, than what we consider them because of the ramifications that we will be accountable for that we probably don't even think about. But, like... But you see, here's the error that we all have to keep ourselves from making. We have to keep ourselves from making any judgment about any individual. This includes anyone who's gone before, anyone who's going after. We have to tell them, listen, these are the instructions. This is what you have to do. What must I do to be saved? Well, you need to repent, be baptized, following the apostles' teachings. It's not just accepting Jesus. It's accepting Jesus and 
obeying his instructions. Well, that's right? how we accept. Yeah. So we tell people of doing things. You got to repent. You got to be baptized. You got to follow in the apostles' teachings. This is my instruction to you, and this is the instruction to everybody. Well, is there any way I can get out of it? No, there isn't. Do you think it'll be okay because I didn't do this? No. no. As long as you're alive, as long as it's cold today, we should be encouraging each other to do better. But the Benjamites who hated David, first because the kingdom was ripped from Saul and given to David. So those Benjamites originally, they always hated David. And then because of all the people that David killed, David killed all sorts of people. All those people that hated David for good reason. Wait a second now, you killed my whole family. You're not going to heaven. If God judges that David's going to be saved, then it doesn't matter what you and I think. But the answer is always the same. We have to encourage people to believe and follow. We have to encourage people to repent, be baptized, follow the apostles' teachings always. We can't leave that as an app. But God's final judgment in the end, and Jesus says, you're going to be surprised. People that you thought were in are not going to be in. The first one to be the last, the last is going to be first. Okay. But I can see, but I but I can see what you're what you're thinking like in terms of like going back to our original analogy you're talking about people who like just didn't get their concert ticket yeah like initially like they aren't just gonna like miraculously like on the day on when everybody is judged and like suddenly be like oh by the way here's a concert ticket that you didn't right. pick up who paid no mind to god at all you didn't pick up during you didn't pick up during your lifetime like i do feel like god whole like we on the one hand God, God can do whatever He wants for sure, but but God also has set conditions on Himself. Yes, and I think that we we need to we. It sounds contradictory, but I think we need to remember both. Yeah, exactly. That. We have to balance the concept, but it's like my mother always believed. Her obedience was influenced by the fact that she was a Catholic. <laughs> So she never got baptized because she was got water sprinkled on her as an infant. But th that kind of person is different from someone who never pays any attention at all to what God's doing. It's just like, oh, this guy I got no use for God. I'm, I got work to do. I got a job to do. There's only so many hours in a day. Can't deal with any of this other stuff. And, you know, I'm going to take what I want because that's the kind of world it is, etc., etc., etc. The person who's that way in his heart. Yeah, clearly we can say, I don't see any hope for that individual. But once again, we would tell that individual the same thing we would tell my mother, the same thing we would tell somebody who is still alive today, what you need to do is believe God's promise, follow his instructions, repent, be baptized, follow the apostles' teachings. And that's what you need to do. And God will judge in the end. But the end is a hard word, because the end means we think after that. God will judge. God will judge in the end, and our job is clear. Scripture says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. 
We will have further conversation about this in the future, and I hope this discussion has been helpful. A special thanks to Jeremy and Tanya for their contributions to this week's episode. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless. The love of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Sweeter also.